Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. How are we? Good to see you all this morning. Welcome and if you're a guest here today, welcome to you too. It's great to see you here at Life Community Church. Um, I'm going to be continuing part two of a message called From Despair destiny which started last week it can be coming up on the screen and um, I'm just going to quickly pray Lord thank you uh, for your word thank you for the Bible that you've given us that people across the course of history have written as they've been inspired by your Holy Spirit and that it can change our lives as we listen to it and as we read it on a daily basis and I pray that Lord you just help us this morning as we listen uh, to your word and may Lord you just help us on this journey of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. I started looking at the book of Gideon, well, looked at it many times, but afresh back in the summer. And I was just waiting for an opportunity to bring a couple of these, these messages to us. And this is today's second part. If you weren't here last week, don't worry, I'm going to quickly do a very brief recap before we go into today. And I'm really excited about today's message. Um, so last week we looked at the whole thing of um, your private steps determine your public significance. The very fact that all of us have a private life, don't we? A life where it's just us and ourselves, and if we're a Christian, God as well. But in the private, um, there are things that God wants us to do, or things, decisions we make, or actions that we take, which affect our public domain. And our public domain is our relationships we have, people we do life with. In our workplace, our family, our neighbourhood, wherever it may be, we have a, a public life. And the decisions we take in the private affect our public so our private steps can determine our public significance. And we heard about the life of Gideon, how he was asking God, God, is that really you? And an angel came to visit him. And, and God showed up and, in a very powerful way and showed him that he was God. And then later on we saw that Gideon had a fleece. God, God was asking Gideon to go and deliver the nation of Israel from 135,000 Midianites. So Gideon, who... I believe he was a brave person, but also probably scared at the thought, thinking he was the weakest of the weak, lowest of the low, wanted to prove God's will. Who here has ever wanted to test God's will? Is that really you, God? And, God, and Gideon did that by the sign of the fleece. And God showed it up in a very real way for him. And then we look at, looked at five ways that God speaks to us in life. And these were, have been borrowed by Nicky Gumbel. Five ways through commanding scripture, that's the Bible. God speaks us through the word of God as we read that on a daily basis and put ourselves under the sound of the word through podcasts or on a Sunday morning. God speaks us through the compelling spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that's gifts of prophecy, that's maybe as we're praying and feeling a burden for something. God speaks to us through his compelling spirit. God speaks us through common sense. God gives us a brain as we think through our decisions and look back on our lives. God can lead us through common sense. God speaks to us through our circumstantial signs. That's through doors that open, doors that close. God can speak to us through our circumstances. And finally, God speaks to us through the counsel of the saints. That's going to people that we know that love us and care for us and asking us, people that won't just say the things that we want, they want us to hear, but people that will give an honest answer. It might be right, it might be wrong, it doesn't matter but coming to the council of saints. So God speaks to us in different ways. There's five ways that God speaks to us. And this leads us to today's message. And I want to tell you up front that um, I'm going to bring a challenge to us all. Perhaps 
if you're not yet a Christian, you're on that journey of faith. This is going to be a challenge to you at the end of my message to maybe make a, a decision today to follow Jesus, perhaps for the first time. But also, perhaps if we are a Christian here today, there's going to be a challenge that comes to all of us today. Not responding to me, but to responding to God's message to us today. That can help us move from that place of despair to that place of destiny. But I've got a question for you right now. Have you ever been in a place where you felt life was out of control? Where you felt things weren't unravelling as you thought they would? Life wasn't making sense in your life. I know certainly I have. And it brings me back to a memory of before I was dating Leanne. See, I was, we were working on a, a youth project in Nuneaton called Youth for Christ. And uh, I didn't have a lot to do with Leanne. I met her literally once a week in a, in a team meeting. That was it. But when I saw Leanne, I started to like her. <laughs> let me pause. Let me re, re, rewind the clock. I'd been, uh, I'd been single for 10 years. I had a long time. I had opportunities to date different girls. Um, I had opportunities to date girls that weren't Christians, but I made a decision that I wasn't going to date a non-Christian girl. I wanted to date a Christian girl that, that not just wasn't a Christian, but had the same sort of beliefs and were going to be on the same page as each other. And it was hard. And, and many good, well-meaning um, Christians say, God's got someone for you, Dave. And I'm thinking, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, great. 101 times people have said that to me. So 10 years is a long time, isn't it? It's a long time for being single. And then suddenly, I joined this project and I met Leanne. And um, it's, it's funny because God sometimes waits, sometimes God delays, and he's doing something in your heart. And there was times in my 10 years where I was, I really want a girlfriend, God. Come on, you could do something for me. Um, no. And at the end of this time, I was actually, I was busy in life, I was busy in ministry, I was at a point where I was content, and I wasn't really looking for um, a girlfriend, let alone a potential wife in life. And suddenly I meet Leanne, and um, after a few times of meeting her, I actually started to like her. So I I made an excuse to phone her up. So uh, there's some reason, I've, I made an excuse for phoning her up on the phone. I was really nervous. Phoned her up, and um, we were on the phone for an hour and a half. Boy, can she talk. <laughs> no, it was a really easy conversation. I put the phone down thinking, goodness, that was a, that was a great conversation. An hour and a half, couldn't believe it, you know. And, uh, oh, wow, okay, God. And um, I was beginning to pray, and um, we met up a couple of times um, just for a drink, and and, and I started to really feel something for Leanne. I didn't know about her. It, it felt that like maybe it was two, two ways. And um, I started to pray about it. And all I can say is in my heart, and this won't be the same for all of us here in this room, but in, this heart, in my heart, I just knew I was going to marry Leanne. I can say that, can't I? Because we're married. But I, honestly, I put it in my journal. I, I sent off different... I asked God and different things. Said, God, can you show me about this? And different occasions, I felt God was confirming that we were going to get married. And we weren't even properly dating. So I put it in my, in my diary. Great, things were going well. We'd be phoning on a regular basis. We'd be meeting up. Until one day. One day we met up. We were having a good, good chat. And uh, it was going well. We weren't officially dating. And uh, at the end of our conversation, Leanne said to me, 
Um, Dave, do you mind sort of not phoning me as much? I wasn't howling here, by the way. <laughs> do you mind not phoning me as much? Um, can I have a bit of space? Can, you, can we not see each other for a bit? And outward, I was going, big smile, of course, that's fine. It was like, oh, oh. And uh, I dropped off that night where she was living, and I went back home, and I was gutted. I thought, I thought on one surface, sort of thinking things were going, going well, things were going great. There was a real chemistry between us. And yet, this was happening, and I'm looking at my journal, and it's reading it up, and said, God, but I'm sure you're saying that we're going to get married. Am I presu- presuming something here? Cut a long story short, a few days later, there was going to be a... Um, a party where the team that we were working on was going to be meeting together for social, and she was going to be there. So I thought, well, I'm going to honour what she said, I'm going to give her space, and I'm not going to talk to her. It felt a bit awkward, but I thought, well, that's what she wants, that's what I'll do. So I hung out with one of my mates at, at, at this party, and, and that was great. And at the end of the night, um, she came up to me, I thought, well, oh, she's going to talk to me. Should I, should I, a bit late, yeah, should I talk to her? <laughs> and she says, um, do you mind if you could drop maybe me and my friend off at the end of the night? I said, that's, that's fine, no problem. I've got to say something to you right now. Leanne had this thing. And this thing was, she probably, she, I don't know where she got this from. Maybe she'll tell you in a, a private moment. But she said she would never, never date anyone or go out with someone that was small than her, wore glasses, or had ginger hair. And Leanne was on a journey of a few days in terms of just thinking about her thoughts about me, etc. Anyway, to a long story short, at the end of the night, she said to me, can we give it a go? Come on! Ginger hair, shorter, glasses. So there's hope for us all, isn't there? Sometimes things don't pan out in life as we expect or hoping. Sometimes things are feel like they're going out of control. Certainly in those few days when she said, I want a bit of space, don't phone me, I felt gutted. I thought, what was going on? And I'm sure we've all felt these different thoughts in terms of, God, where are you in this situation? God, would you guide me? Why is this happening this way? Well, God, no, surely it shouldn't happen this way. It should happen this way. And we can all relate to this. Maybe in our uh, individual working lives, maybe we want to look for a job. Maybe we're not happy with the job that we're in. We're looking for another job. And suddenly there's no job opportunities. Or maybe one out of our current job because the place where we're working is really perhaps a negative situation. Yet God wants you to stay there because you can make a difference. Maybe in our, in our family lives, we've got different relationships and we want a certain relationship to, to be better, but it's not. And God wants you to hang in there and, and to keep trying, but it's not going the way that you thought. Maybe in our, maybe we're a student and we're thinking, well, God, how can I make a difference for you in, in university where everyone wants to do, live life a certain way and you want me to make a difference there? Maybe we're seeking God for the, uh, his will and a direction for our lives, but it's just not working out as we would hope. Maybe this, you've been saving up and you're looking for to, to do something and pay for things, but suddenly you're having to pay lots of unexpected bills come up. And you think, God, life isn't working out as I hoped or I thought that you wanted for me. God, surely you could do things a bit different. God, surely you could do things differently. God's got to start to speak to me about this passage a few months ago. And if I can give us some keys this morning that can help us unpack this, wouldn't we want to hear this? How can we respond when life doesn't work as we think or we think we could know better than God? Who knows sometimes that we think we know better than God? Certainly I do. I think, God, surely I could do it this way, but God does it that way. 
Well, turn with me in the Bible to um, Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. The passage will appear on our screens. I want to make this point today. And the key point today is, it's not about you, it's about God. It's not about you, it's about God. When I make that point, that seems like God might be this autocratic dictator in heaven looking at us thinking, it's all about God. What about me? What about my feelings? What about my situations? But we're going to find out in the life of Gideon, it wasn't about him. It's about God, because God has always got greater plans, greater thoughts. He sees wider, higher, further than what we could ever think. His plans are greater, his ways are higher. It's not about you, it's about God. And, see, at the end of Judges chapter 6, Gideon has blown a trumpet. Gideon has obeyed God in the private place. And as a result, he's blown the trumpet, and suddenly, 32,000 people have gathered behind him, his leadership. He wasn't expecting it, he wasn't looking for it, but 32,000 people have gathered behind the leadership of Gideon. God had been talking to Gideon that you are going to save the, the nation of Israel from the imposing army, which was about 135,000 Midianites and people of the East. Who knows, 32,000 versus 135,000 is still a tall order. It's about one in four, it's 25%. But it still looks quite favourable. But God's ways are not our ways. A great author on prayer, Ian Bounds, said this. He says, man is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Man is God's method. And in this story, in this account, Gideon is God's method to release the people of, of Israel into freedom. But Gideon was presuming it was going to be done a certain way. And so we've got 32,000 people gathering behind the leadership of, of Gideon. His family behind him, who just previously wanted to kill him, and now the wider, some of the wider tribes have also gathered behind Gideon. But I want to say this. If it's, if it's not about you, it's all about God. Sometimes we can think certain things. And one of the things that God really wants to, to work out of, out of our lives, literally, is any area of pride. Pride is an area that affects every single one of us if we let it. Pride is saying, I can do it my way. Or well, I know best, God. A definition of pride found in the Cambridge Dictionary is this. A feeling of pleasure or satisfaction that you get because you or people connected with you have done or got something good. A sense of satisfaction that you've done or got something good. And that can affect us all. And there can be good natural pride. Pride when you look back and think of a hard day's work. I've done well today. But the pride that rises up that can take the place of God. I can do it my way. Like that famous song, I'll do it my way. I won't sing again, it's okay. But God wants us to do it his way. God is looking for people like you and me who will follow him no matter what the cost and do whatever he says. But he wants us to do it his way, not our way. And he wants to root out any form of pride in our lives. And it says this in, in Judges chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Then Jeroboam, 
that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. And we've got to realise that the children of Israel, this nation of Israel, have gone through a period where they've, they've basically abandoned God. They've started to worship false idols, false gods, instead of the living God, the God of Israel. And so, if God could have released Israel with Gideon and his 32,000 um, 30, uh, people behind him, but he didn't want to. Because if he did do it that way, perhaps they could start thinking, Maybe it was us, really. And maybe they could fall into sin again. Like they've been on this cycle of, for many years. Following God, falling into sin, calling out to God again. Following God, falling into sin, calling out to God again. We've got to be careful in our own lives that we don't follow that pattern. And so we've got 32,000 people. And God is clear in verse 2 that he doesn't want them to have the glory. He wants to have the glory. Because it's not about him. It's all about God. And picture this, the camp. Picture this scene. They are, they are camped in a place called the Well of Harad, which is about six or seven miles from the valley where 135,000 Midianites, the enemy, are camped. The Bible describes them as like swarms of locusts. And that's just their camels. That's just their cattle. Wow. And they've come in every year to, to devour their crops, devour their land, to to, to rampage villages, as we know from last week. And God is saying to Gideon, I'm going to do it my way. So the glory doesn't go to you, doesn't go to the nation of Israel, but goes to me. And what happens? God has a plan. And he, he thinks that the number of people behind you, Gideon, is far too many. You don't need 32,000 people. That gives them a one in four chance of fighting the Midianites. It gives them one person for every four Midianites. So what he does, he says, tell the people who's scared um, that they may go back to their homes. So Gideon says, if you're scared, you may go back to your homes. And out of 32,000 people, the Bible says that 22,000 people left. So suddenly, there's 22,000 people. They're bound to be scared because the numbers are one in four and they've left Gideon. Now Gideon is down to 10,000 people. 10,000 versus 135,000 people. Suddenly, the odds have got a lot more stacked against them. God's not finished. 10,000 people are still way too many for the full glory to go to God. So, God says to Gideon, take the people down to the, the brook to have some water and watch them the way they drink. Those that put their hands to the water and drink from their mouth, put to one side, and those people that get down on their knees and drink in the brook, put the other side. And what we see is a lot of people are tired. And so they, they, a lot of people are on their knees. The number of people that used their hand was 300. And 9,700 people were on their knees. Which number did God want to use? The 300. God has now separated 300 people that are going to be used by God 
under the leadership of Gideon to rescue and save the nation of Israel. So we've gone from a 1 in 4 chance, 25%, to a 0.2% chance. So for every one Israelite, there is now 450 Midianites. That is an astonishing number. And I'm wondering if you wonder with me how Gideon might be feeling, how Gideon might be thinking. How is it going to work out? How are we going to possibly enter a battle with 300 people? And again, Gideon's still probably thinking these thoughts and trying to make his own plans. And then we start, if we turn to um, the next one, please, guys. Verse 15, I think it is. No, sorry, verse 8, we'll read from. Verse 8. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. I love that. People took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent them all, all the rest of Israel away. So how are they armed? How are they armed? Have they got like swords and machetes and machine guns? No. They've got swords. Sorry, they've got trumpets and they've got provisions. Sounds good. Good plan, God. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So we've got the camp of Midian being about six miles away. They're in a valley situation. Who knows that in a battle, having the up higher ground is a good thing. Maybe that's one thing in their favour. Okay, 300 to 135,000 people, but they've got the higher ground. Verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go to the camp with Pura, your servant. Who knows that Gideon's going to be afraid? Hands up if you would be afraid in that situation. Odds are stacked against you. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. God says, I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you, Gideon. And the encouragement is going to go... As you obey me, as you go down to the camp by yourself, and if you want to, take your servant with you, you're going to hear some words of encouragement that are going to encourage your heart and encourage the people of God, your 300 people behind you. You are going to be encouraged this day. Who knows that hearing God speak like that is going to be encouraging? Because God, if it's God, then you're going to be encouraged. Who needs encouragement? We all need encouragement, don't we, at different times in our lives. And God knows this, and God wants to encourage the heart of Gideon right now. And verse 12, now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Wow. And their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have a dream. I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent, struck it, so it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then this, his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And verse 15, And so it was when Gideon heard um, the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Who knows that when you are encouraged by God, your only response can be to worship God. When God meets you at your point of need and says, you know, you don't know how it's going to work out, but 
Believe me, I am with you. I'm going to encourage your heart. Your heart returns to God. It's God, I want to worship you. And Gideon worshipped God even though he had yet to fight against this, 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 this miraculous army of 135,000 people. One in 450 people. The ratios were outnumbered. But God was on his side. But I'm a bit confused with this. I don't know if you read, read this, but, but how can this Midianite army, how can these two people in this outpost who are talking, one having a dream, one interpreting a dream, know the name of Gideon, the son of Joash? He talks about Gideon and he talks about the God of the Israelites. How can these people know this? When you do things for God, when you step out in faith, people talk and rumours happen. People talk and rumours happen. When you do things, whether they're good or bad, people talk, rumours happen. And when we step out in faith and when we try and obey God, people talk and rumours happen. People are listening. People are watching. And so is the enemy. So is the enemy of our soul, the devil. He's watching. He's listening. And in this, in this account, Joah, uh, Gideon has, root, has um, rallied an army previously of 2,000 people. Sent messages throughout the different tribes. Others have joined them. And in so doing, the enemy of Israel has heard. And the name of Gideon has come to their ears. When you do something for God, know that the devil is watching. But don't be afraid. Because Jesus is on your side. Jesus is on your side. And let's not be unmindful of the fact that we have people watching our lives including the devil. And then we see in verse 16 what happens. Then he divided 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Now when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You see, what we don't pick up in, in, this, in this dream that has happened is a loaf of barley has tumbled down. And a loaf of barley in those days is, is, the, 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 is the, the bread that the poorest of the poor will eat. You'd give it to your cattle, your dogs, your, your, your animals. A loaf of barley is something insignificant. And that's sometimes how Gideon was thinking about himself, something insignificant. And when it says it tumbled down, that word tumbled actually means like a drawn sword. It's used elsewhere in Genesis. Tumble means to draw a sword in Genesis chapter 3. And so Gideon is hearing this and he's thinking, a drawn sword. So he therefore uses the language, when you see me blow the trumpet, blow your trumpets too, and draw your sword, blow your trumpets and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And it says in verse 19, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So everyone was tired. It's about 10 o'clock at night, the middle watch. Everyone is absolutely shattered. They're in a deep sleep. Just as they had posted the watch, and they, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And if you can imagine the scene, they're in, their lights have been hidden in pitchers. So they're going into position in the cover of darkness. And the three, hundred, three um, groups of 100 people are surrounding this valley in the high ground. Suddenly they blow their trumpets 
And all around the camp of 135,000 people, trumpets are being blown, which suddenly wake them out of a deep stupor of a, of a, of a sleep. And suddenly they break their pitch and suddenly they see light. And in the darkness, when you're tired and you, you're looking up, all you can hear is, is ram's horn, which is the, is the battle cry that people are going to attack. You may have heard that the rumor spread about Gideon is going to attack this, this army. And suddenly you see lights. What the Bible then goes on to say is that people were confused and people started to kill each other in the camp. They started to draw their own sword in a confused state and started to kill each other. And that night, thousands died and the rest of them went on the run. And over a short period of days, the Midianite army is reduced to only 15,000 people. From 135,000 to 15,000 people and eventually the kings and the princes are killed. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? God knows what he's doing. We think we know the methods, we think we know the plans, and sometimes the plans are good, sometimes the methods are good, but God knows what he is doing. And God knew that he wanted to rescue the people of God, the Israelites, but he wanted to do it his way. Because it's not about you, it's all about God. So what can we learn from this in closing? It's not about you, it's all about God. The first thing we can learn is, thanks Chris, when you don't understand what God is doing, believe that God is good. You've got to believe that God is good. When you don't understand what God is doing, maybe you think you know best, or there's a different way you would do it, approach it, and that's not working out. Believe that God is good. And this is, this is so key to everything. We've got to trust in his character. Because God is a good God. And that's the number one thing about our faith. If God is not good, I'm not going to follow him. But God is, is good. I'm going to follow him, not with just with part of my life, but with all my decision making. And sometimes when it doesn't work out or it's going a different way, God is good. In your family situation, God is good. Trust in the good, goodness of God. Remember, it's not about good... Not about you, but it's all about God. But if it's all about God, it means it's also about you. Because if it's, also about, if it's all about God, God loves you as a loving Heavenly Father. God loves you. He lavishes love and grace upon you. He loves you so much. And so much more than any earthly father. I love my kids, and I want to do the best for my kids. Today, I was sharing with... Yesterday, I was sharing with Jude. I, I had the kids a day, and I treated them. Yeah, there are a few bribes, but we, we had a good day, cooked breakfast, chocolate and all sorts, had a nice day together. I just want to do good, good things for my kids, give them good things. But that's just me as an earthly father. How much more does God, our heavenly father, want to give you and I good things? He's got our best. So if it's not about you and it's all about God, it means it's also about you. God sees wider, further, higher than you. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are different. Believe that God is good, even when his plans are not the same as what you've got planned. We heard last week about how we listen to God, but God is good. Secondly, second thing you can do is be teachable. Be meek in attitude and action. That word meek, we've heard the well-known phrase, meekness, not weakness. Christians are meek, not weak. Well, meekness means teachable. It, it gives the, um, in the Greek, it gives us sort of the, the picture of a wild dalian that has been broken in so it can be ridden by its owner. 
And one of the things that God wants to break in our lives is our will. I want to do it my way. There's many, many times that God has and still is breaking my will. I think he always will keep breaking my will. While I've got earth uh, breath in my lungs. Because God wants me to realise that he's got better plans for me. He knows what he wants to do in different situations. I've had different family situations which I tried to do it a certain way, but it's been really hard, but God had to do it another way. God wants me and God wants you to be teachable. To say, God, in this situation, I want to keep a good attitude, a good heart, and I want to still do what you ask me to do. Keep me teachable. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? When things don't work out, when God's got different ways, believe God and stay and be teachable. And finally, when you don't understand what God is doing, be ready to serve others. And Jesus gave us the, the great example. Hours before he's going to die on the cross, he washes the disciples' feet. He, who didn't need to be served, came to serve and give his life a ransom. There's no greater calling than to serve people. It's meeting needs in love. There's so many different ways that we can meet needs and serve people. I challenge you on your daily life, in your daily business, when you get up out of, out of bed in the morning, say, God, how can I serve you and serve others today? How can I serve you by serving others today? What do you want to do in my life that I can make a difference today? Because when we serve others, it gets rid of selfishness. And who knows, we can all be selfish. And you can be selfish. And serving others eradicates selfishness. Because it gets this focus onto other people and the need of others. And I want to encourage and challenge us today. Serve other people. Serve in this church. So I thank God for everyone that is serving in life of this church. But the challenge comes to you today. To serve. To look at ways of serving one another. To meeting needs in love. And maybe you're quite new. And maybe you want to get involved with a team and volunteer. They've talked to us about that. There's plenty of different, um, different ways that we can serve. And you can serve in life of the church today. But let's serve. Let's serve and let's meet the needs of others. And it helps to eradicate selfishness. Gets our eyes onto Jesus and onto God. And do you know what? When we found the place of serving, and we, we found at the start of the story that Joe, um, Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press, we know then he's, he's, he shouldn't be doing it. It should be his servant doing it because he's the oldest of the family. But he's doing whatever he could to try and make food. Let's do whatever he can to serve the needs of others. And I just bring this to a close. It's not about you. It's all about God. It's all about him. And last, a few weeks ago, Phil Pine came and spoke to the church a word. And I believe it was a really timely word. And he spoke and said that, from the, uh, Mark chapter 2, that there's a humility over this house. And I love that. Because humility means it's not about us, it's all about him. Humility says, you know... Um, I might be good at certain things, but God can use me. God, would you use me to, to make a difference? And when people come together, 
with humble hearts to serve God, to make a difference. Like he said at the end of, of Mark chapter 2, that story, people would start to say, I've never seen anything like this before. And in your life as an individual, and in the lives of this church, as we humble ourselves into God and God's ways for our lives, and God's ways as us as a church, we will do things that we've never seen or heard before. Why? Because we want to become big shots? No, because we want to serve God and we want to see lives changed by the transforming power and love of Jesus Christ. And that includes you and that includes me. And as we get a hold of this, that God can use you and things, even in the unseen, as things are perhaps going different ways to what you expected, God is still challenging your heart and molding your heart and shaping your life, then God will cause you to make a difference and take you to another level. Man is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Man is God's method. Let's pray. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.